This is Ethics Bites with me, David Edmonds. And me, Nigel Warburton. Ethics Bites is a series of interviews on applied ethics produced in association with the Open University. For more information about Ethics Bites and about the Open University, go to open2.net. There are many practices that today we condemn as ludicrous, barbaric or abhorrent, which in the past were considered acceptable. In ancient Greece, slavery was widely regarded as entirely natural. Not many people in the early 18th century believed that women should be allowed to vote. Until very recently, it was thought perfectly okay for school teachers to cane their pupils when they misbehaved. So given that we're prisoners of our time, should we blame the historical culprits, the slave owners, the child floggers? After all, they surely couldn't have been expected to know any better, even though we now do. And does the answer to this blame question have implications for how we should handle alien cultures today? Cultures operating by principles or practices to which we may take strong exception? Questions from Miranda Fricker of Birkbeck College. Miranda Fricker, welcome to Ethics Bites. I'm very pleased to be here. The topic we want to talk about today is the relativity of blame. I wonder if you could outline what the moral problem is there. Yes, some people will think that moral blame can apply over any amount of cultural or historical distance. But some philosophers have thought that a certain sort of historical or cultural distance can make moral judgments in general, and I particularly like to focus on judgments of blame, lapse. The core argument for this is really often put in terms of our moral concepts becoming inapplicable over sufficient historical distance. If you take a classic example like a medieval English knight, let's say, the knight's code of honour doesn't seem to have any analogue today. And so if we look back and see some of the dreadful things he might have done in the name of honour and we disapprove, it would seem absurd, some have argued, moralistic, close-minded and historically insensitive to just blame him for certain perhaps violent acts he did in the name of honour. The relativist impulse in ethics comes from wanting to respect that historical distance and allow that this knight, though he will have acted in terms of his code of honour in ways which we now disapprove of, should not be blamed, should not perhaps even be disapproved of in any way. We don't actually have to go back all the way to medieval knights. When I was at school, which wasn't that long ago, they had the cane. It seems to me quite barbarous now, but at the time it was an accepted pedagogic tool. Yes, I think that's right. And what interests me about moral relativism is that I think a lot of the argument for it ought to be contained in a thesis about the relativity specifically of blame, but confined to that so that you don't move to any more general moral relativism. Now, in this nice example you raise of corporal punishment against children, moral sensibilities have moved on, and we now regard hitting children, smacking children, caning them, depriving them of food as utterly morally unacceptable and vicious practices which we now bring under quite different moral concepts, not of discipline or uh, proper child management, but rather of child abuse, domestic violence, assault, and so on. Now, if you have school teachers, for instance, who used to go in for some of these practices, understanding them as a, a normal part of disciplining children, we perhaps do look back, and it would be moralistic to think that we can stand here and blame them for engaging in these practices when they were thought as a proper part of a morally good way of treating children at the time. So I think even over a very little cultural and historical distance, we can look back and find that judgments of blame do run out. And I think that's explained by the fact that it's really a condition of blame that we have to be able to see people as in a position to have known better. 
And if people aren't, or weren't rather, in a position to have known better, we can't blame them. But we can still regard what they did as morally abhorrent. And I think we ought to be able to say something negative about them in terms of their character, which falls short of blame. But it's obscure exactly what we can say. So how does that fall short of relativism, where you say, well, there are just these compartmentalised different ways that people behave, and we're not in a position to judge at all what somebody did at a different time or in a different culture? Well, it'll seem to be the same thing as relativism, so long as we assume that blame exhausts our negative moral judgments. But I think in our ordinary moral reflection, though we may lack a vocabulary, we have lots of room for judgments of a sort that fall short of moral blame, but which are still judgments directed at the individual agent for what he or she did. And I think we could usefully coin a term that I call historical or moral disappointment to use in respect of people who failed to come to a moral insight which contemporaries of theirs did succeed in making. I'll need to explain this a little more because I think we need to make a distinction between routine moral judgments, routine moral interpretations, if you like, and at the times we're envisaging where children were standardly beaten as a form of discipline, the routine moral moves will have been in terms of did this child deserve such a severe punishment and there might be yes or no answer. Those would have been routine moral judgments. But there will have been people around that teacher at a certain point in history where we see a kind of moral transition who were able to make a different sort of move, a more exceptional moral move, as I would call it, to see that, no, wait a minute, this is what you call cruelty. (laughs) They were able then to start bringing these activities, these standard practices under different moral concepts and come to see things in a more proper moral light. And you can see, I'm assuming, a fairly strong moral realism or moral objectivity about these things. The important point here is that seeing the relativity of blame can be put in a framework not of moral relativism at all, but on the contrary, of moral objectivity. So some people are just exceptional and see beyond the limitations of their time, as it were. Yes, I think that's right. I think we have to see collective moral sensibility as growing and progressing and evolving through time. That's to say, I don't assume that we're heading closer and closer to a kind of perfect moral vision. But in a particular case, I think we can look back and see that we've made moral progress about certain sorts of subject areas, and the punishment of children seems to me to be one of them. So if we regard morality as this sort of rolling, self-correcting, organic enterprise in sensitivity to others and, and moral realities of various sorts, we might expect that some people are pushing that process ahead while others are lagging behind. So when we look at historical change, while we may acknowledge that very often there's a certain sort of structural luck in what makes attitudes change, very often, for instance, after a war, you find that certain sorts of attitudes are relaxed and so on. But we also expect to see that certain people's reflective capacities are also forcing change. People are, if you like, lobbying for different attitudes. And that means at any given time of social transition, there'll be some people People who, for whatever reason, are able to come to see smacking children as a form of violence instead of just as a form of appropriate discipline. And they're the people who move the moral discipline on, and they're the people who are making judgments I'm calling exceptional judgments, by contrast with the merely routine judgments of the others who are carrying on judging in the old ways. Now, you've talked about disappointment as the appropriate attitude towards some people's behaviour and feelings in the past. How does that differ from regret? Regret taken absolutely generally needn't be a moral attitude at all. You know, the bank robber can regret that he left his fingerprints all over the safe and one can regret the one who missed the bus. None of these are moral attitudes. But forms of moral regret can be differently focused. There can be 
shame, which I take it as basically a desire to hide from disapproving eyes, which might be others' eyes or indeed internalised, it might be one's own. There's guilt, which is normally associated with a sense of heavy conscience, which you might be able to offload through some process of atonement or confession and so on. And remorse, perhaps the most important of all, which is characterised fundamentally with a sympathetic grasp of the wrong one has done, a pained awareness of the pain one has caused. Now, those different forms of moral regret are essentially self-focus it's significant that it's me that did it and that's why I'm feeling the regret the remorse the guilt the shame that I'm feeling moral disappointment probably could be just about projected towards oneself but basically it can't basically it's an attitude we have towards other agents and it's a kind of disapproval we have towards them for a failure to bring their practices or certain practices under a concept that they could have even in their time brought it under because other people were just beginning to manage this moral insight. So far we've just been talking about historical distance but actually geographically there are presumably tribes which haven't yet encountered people from technologically sophisticated societies who have practices that we might find morally abhorrent. Let's imagine there is such a tribe and they standardly kill the third child in a cruel way. How should we treat them? Because they're contemporaneous with us. There's no distance of time. So should we just feel disappointed with them or should we prosecute when we discover them? Well, some of the general arguments for moral relativism look for very grand kinds of cultural difference to discover that our moral values in general simply don't apply. But very few of the people who would argue for relativism generally in that way would say that it applies over cultural distance. But I think that actually, if we've narrowed it down simply to judgments of blame that we're relativizing, I think actually that judgments of blame run out pretty quickly. We suggested already that they run out pretty quickly over historical distance, and the condition that's governing whether or not judgments of blame apply is the question whether the agent is in a position to have thought differently, to have known better, if you like. And I think that condition applies over cultural distance. So if we look at a distant culture and we judge some practice that they do in that culture negatively, we must ask ourselves whether or not they're in a position to think differently, to know differently, to know better, as we might put it from our own point of view. And if they are, then we may blame. But if they're not, then we'll find that blame seems moralistic and absurd. Can you imagine anything that we do now or that you do now that in 20 years' time people will look back at and feel deeply disappointed in? Quite possibly, yes. And I suppose this is an example of how one could almost, in advance of oneself, be disappointed in one's current practices, as it were. I eat meat, but only in semi-good conscience. And I sometimes imagine if we were heading towards a more fully vegetarian future those future others would look back on people like me with some moral disapproval. They'd look at my attitudes towards pets and so on and wonder why on earth I didn't manage to bring my treatment of other sorts of animals under the same concept as I use for pets and they would see incoherence in my thinking and all the sorts of things that we look back on other people's attitudes towards beating children, say, and wonder why they didn't manage to see the light. I don't know that that's what future generations are going to think, but I can see that it might be. And if so, clearly someone like me is in a position to be thinking differently to be making more exceptional moral moves than I now do. For I'm surrounded by vegetarians who have indeed made that sort of exceptional moral move in their ethical thinking. But I haven't, and I remain in a sort of grey area. Now, I think that the worst judgment to be made of someone like me would be historical moral disappointment. Disappointment in my failing to make that more exceptional ethical move in my thinking. 
but eating meat is sufficiently normal, sufficiently routine around here that I would not, in fact, be regarded as blameworthy. So I think I'm probably situated in this moral grey area that I'm naming moral disappointment. Miranda Fricker, thank you very much. Thank you. Ethics Bites was produced in association with The Open University. You can listen to more Ethics Bites on open2.net, where you'll also find supporting material. Or you can visit www.philosophybites.com to hear more philosophy podcasts. <laughs>